0: Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast Supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show
1: description to support now.
0: Quality sleep is essential for boosting energy, recovery and well-being. So, take your sleep to the next level with Sleep Number. Only at Sleep Number Stores or SleepNumber.com. Hey, my friends. I want to let you all know that my very first book, The Path of an Eagle, How to Overcome and Lead, after being knocked down, is now available for pre-order. I'll make sure the link is available in the show notes below. All right, my friends. Let's do the show. There is a story for everyone here because every story matters. How many of you listening to this right now can put up your hand and say, Jay, I absolutely love music. I mean, who doesn't love music? I am one of those people that doesn't listen to it often, but I have a huge love and appreciation for certain kinds of music, depending on what kind of mood that I am in, as I'm sure that would be the case for many of you that are listening to this right now. And this conversation with Daniel Levitin is incredibly fascinating because we talk about how music really affects your brain, your mood, why music is so inherently powerful, what goes on in the brain as you are listening to music, the neuroscience of music which is incredibly interesting and I know you guys are going to love this conversation but Daniel Levitin is an award-winning neuroscientist he's a musician as well and he's a very good one at that he's also a best-selling author his research encompasses music the brain health productivity and creativity Leviton has published more than 300 articles in journals, including Science, Nature, many, many others as well. His research has been featured over 1,800 times in popular press, including 17 articles in the New York Times and many, many others. He is the author of four New York Times bestselling books, This Is Your Brain on Music, The World in Six Songs. The Organized Mind and Successful Aging, which was published in the UK as The Changing Mind, as well as the international bestseller A Field Guide to Lies, which was also published as Weaponized Lies. Daniel is a Popular public speaker. He's a very good one at that. And he gives presentations on the floor of Parliament in London to the US Congress, Microsoft, Google and Amazon, just to name a few of those small ones. Right. Uh, Dr. Levitin uh, earned his BA from Stanford in cognitive science. And he's PhD in cognitive psychology with a PhD minor in music technology. So he's incredibly smart and he knows exactly what he's talking about. He has influenced some of the best artists around, including Coyote with his song, Somebody I Used to Know. Why is that song is so incredibly catchy? Well, Daniel explains during this conversation why that is the case. Uh, But it is quite interesting research uh, that you guys will uh, learn so much more in this conversation, which is why I loved, loved speaking with Daniel. Now, Daniel is one of those people that is incredibly busy. And I know that this conversation does run a little bit short, but I did want to be respectful of his time. So I tried to cover as much as I possibly could during this conversation. He has agreed to come back on at a later date, which I can't wait for. I'm going to unbox so much more incredible wisdom from this man. But anyway, help support Daniel and his new uh, music, which is out right now. Too. He's he's got a an album called Sex and Math. If that album doesn't interest you, then listen to some of the the songs on there. They are quite catchy. I've got a few favorites. Answers. This there is the light. This is my refrain, and so many others. That's just my personal taste, but you guys can find your own. Uh, all right, my friends. That's enough from me, but uh, if you do get something from this conversation, please share it around to your friends and your family. Uh, Don't forget that my very first book, The Path of an Eagle, How to Overcome and Lead After Being Knocked Down, is now available for pre-order. The link will be in the show notes below. Uh, Also, I forgot to mention that Daniel has influenced and and been helped by the likes of icons such as Stevie Wonder and Joni Mitchell among many many other great musicians all right my friends that's enough from me officially let's journey into the story box as we listen to the incredible wisdom the advice the stories of none other than dr daniel levitin
1: thank you jay and thank you for that generous introduction and not dwelling on all the countless unproductive hours i spent on the couch watching television Believe
0: me, but the, my friends, the bio goes a lot longer than what I just read out. And I didn't actually mention the incredible new album that you've got, which is Sex and Math, which I think is an interesting title. How does sex and math play into each other <laughs> as uh, a thing? <laughs> uh, before we dive further into that, which I'm very excited to, to actually learn more about it. My very first question for you, Daniel. This is a question I love starting off with all my guests. It is, what does success look like for you?
1: Well, that's a great question. I mean, it changes across the course of one's life. I think initially, success for me meant that I would be able to, um, ha- you know, make just enough money to have. Um, food on the table and and to be able to pay for it as opposed to public assistance. Not that there's anything wrong with accepting public assistance if you need to, but you know, success to me was being able to make my own way, pay rent, uh, and know, maybe have two or three months worth of rent and food money stashed in a savings account in case something went wrong. Um, I think now... Um, having met those basic needs, success means having uh, to me, means having relationships with other people that you care about, that um, you're invested in, and that uh, you know those others can depend on you. and uh, the other thing I think is is being able to find meaningful work. Freud said this is one of the most important things after basic needs find meaningful work Mm. and even better is if the work isn't just meaningful to you but other people find value in it Mm. because we are as humans a social species Mm. although emily dickinson stuck all her poems in a drawer (laughs) you know i think she would have preferred it if people read them and venerated her the way they do Mm.
0: did you always how do you
1: find success
0: how do i find success well, I asked you first, <laughs> um, this cause I'm always asking so many different people, this question, I'm always hearing a vast amount of responses and I guess my, my own version has changed since I started this show two years ago compared to today. And I think it really encompasses the idea of service, having a, a servant attitude and heart towards just people and and being kind as well as doing, obviously doing the things that you love with the people that you love. And I guess forever being curious as well. Like that for me is the idea of a, I I guess, successful and meaningful and fulfilling life. I like how you mentioned Freud. Like I like that. And I, you know, Emily Emily Dickinson and putting all her works in, in a drawer. I think is, is a shame, and I, like a lot of people, would have loved to have read it back then, but then would she have become as famous today <laughs> if she had published them back then? So,
1: Beethoven is still famous.
0: Exactly. Beethoven, Mo- Mozart, uh, all these incredible, you know, musicians, artists, you name it. Uh, who was it? Vincent van Gogh? I mean, his his paintings only became well-known and popular and worth millions of dollars after he died. I mean, it's crazy how that happens. Anyway, I'm going on a little tangent here <laughs> from your original question, but I guess steering it back to you here for a moment, Daniel, I, I was curious, the the intersection of music, neuroscience for you, did you want to be more of a musician growing up or did you want to be more of a neuroscientist, and how do they intersect with one another?
1: I, I didn't want to have to choose. Uh, I liked them both, and I didn't see any reason why I had to choose, and so I didn't. <laughs>
0: so why both of them?
1: Oh, well, I I would say I I like science and I like art, and the art that I resonate most with is musical art, and it's the the art that I put the most time into. I mean, like anybody – I draw and I sketch and I take photographs and uh, I, I dance poorly. I mean, uh, you know, <laughs> I, I, you know, I, I dabble in the other arts like anyone does, but um, music is what speaks to me. And science, I love all of science, but the one that um, I felt I enjoyed the most was neuroscience. Uh, the, you know, the brain is this great, the, the final frontier. We, we really understand very little about it. And so that means that there's a lot of low hanging fruit, as they say, you know, a lot of questions that can actually be answered as opposed to my poor colleagues in, in physics who are trying to figure out the origin of the universe, They're a little trickier. Hmm.
0: I want to get to your new album in just a moment, but I would be remiss if I didn't ask you, how does music impact the brain?
1: Well, there's a lot there. Um, One of the things is that music we know, for thousands of years we've known this, and scientists have just come around to showing it with experiments, music can impact your mood. And most people use music uh, like they would use a drug. They have a certain kind of music they go to to relax, think alcohol, uh, or a certain kind of music to help them get out of bed or get through a workout, think caffeine. Uh, There's music that helps you feel a little less alone, comforts you. So all of these things are music hitting the brain through through the ears, modulating neurochemistry, neural firing patterns. So that's that's one thing.
0: Is it more the the tune, the notes, the creative aspect side of things that when created, it impacts the brain on that? I guess the the emotional level, or is it more to it than that?
1: It's it's no one thing, it, and for different people, it's different things. And for you, within a song, it might be different things at different times. You may be initially attracted to the melody, but then fall in love with the singer's voice, and now you want to hear other things they do. Or, you know, that it's in some case, if if you're on a dance floor, it's rhythm, man you don't care about the lyrics so it's context dependent and it's it varies
0: so why is it that some sort of genres of music like people like it more than other people do like you, you know you're finding your tune finding your song why is that the case like is it because we're all just wired differently
1: it's both wiring and its um, environment so um we start hearing music when we're in the womb through the amniotic fluid and whatever music we're exposed to there forms a template and the brain begins wiring itself up to that it understands it so the way that you learn a native language just by listening you learn your native music and if you're in a bilingual or trilingual household the musical equivalent being maybe jazz and indian ragas and chinese opera uh, you know, or rock, jazz, and country, whatever it is, you, you learn to speak all those musical languages. Uh, if not as a performer, you understand them as a listener. Uh, and then what we're exposed to. Most people around the age of 12 or 13 start discovering what kids they want to hang out with, not just the kids their parents set up play dates with. And then to some extent you listen to the music that your friends are listening to.
0: Mm. So here's a question that I had for you and you're more than welcome to not answer it (laughs) if you like, but is creativity really endless with regards to making songs? Like, do you think we'll ever see an end to music being made or am I just being completely I guess totally curious here
1: (laughs) well I like the definition of the composer Edgar Varese which is that music is organized sound yeah and I think we're always going to want to organize sound the music we listen to 10,000 years from now or 100,000 years from now if we haven't blown ourselves up (laughs) maybe recognizable by our ancestors maybe not it's hard to say but Certainly, if you go back a couple of thousand years, um, many of the same melodies we are told that were sung um, then uh, are similar. Hey, here's the best piece of evidence. The 40,000-year-old bone flute mm. basically plays a pentatonic scale, which is common to everything we hear.
0: Damn. I love this. <laughs> <laughs> i I don't listen to music that as much as I should, but when I do get in a mood, I'll I'll tend to bring out like old style rock and roll, and I grew up with that sort of thing. Uh, and I'm I'm very I notice I'm very attuned to a specific tune. Um, yeah, it's mainly rock and roll or some pop songs. I love a good jazz and classical, like you know your Mozart and, and things like that. It just Gets me in a different mood and I love it, but how does it affect the aging process as a whole? Does it really affect how we age well or can it?
1: It can. If we have music that we find comfort in, I mean, the, the clearest example of this is people with Alzheimer's disease who don't know mm. where they are. They don't recognize anyone, but you put on a song from their childhood and they suddenly come alive. They are back in touch with their memories and themselves things that they had lost.
0: I think that's special. Honestly, I used to look after a young girl who had a disability, like cognitive disability, and the only thing that would calm her down would be Katy Perry's music. It was amazing. So she'd be a little devil one moment. The next moment you start playing Katy Perry's songs and then she'd just be this angel. And I'm trying. I was trying to figure out what's going on here. Like that is sheer power. You're noticing that. Yeah, it was just absolutely amazing. And I guess my, my question is, neurologically, what's going on there?
1: <laughs> we don't really know. Uh, mm. I mean, what what um, what she finds soothing, somebody else would find grating or torture. So, you know, there's individual tastes and we're still working out why tastes can be so divergent. Mm. But um, music seems to uniquely have the power to alter moods. Other things do too, visual art, dance, movies, literature, but music is different. And I think part of the reason is that for visual art, most people say that when they look at the world around them, forest the trees the room you're in a painting by van gogh dance sculpture they're seeing something out there it's out there in the world but most people say that when they're listening to music even if it's not in headphones it sounds like the music is coming from inside their head it feels more intimate
0: why do you love music so much
1: i i couldn't say other than uh I had a, a somewhat solitary childhood, and uh, not by design. I was just sort of a geeky, unpopular kid, and music was a place that taught me about the world. And you know, I had my friends. My friends were Johnny Cash and Crosby, <laughs> Stills and Nash, and Tchaikovsky and Miles Davis, and uh, I could rely on them to be there, and they became familiar and comforting.
0: So why, at the age that you are today, why only now decide to create your professional album? Why didn't you do it when you were younger?
1: Well, I I tried, actually, and the feedback I got from musical friends was that I wasn't ready and that I needed to work at it more. And so... You know, I'd always played in bands and uh, I've toured a bit with Roseanne Cash. And um, when we played together, she would always ask me to play one or two of my songs, which was very encouraging. But, you know, it was clear that they weren't anywhere near the level of her songs and not near the level of things that most people wanted to hear. So I've coming into being 60 I thought this is my last shot. Uh, well, no, maybe not my last shot, but you know, now, now I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to work at this. I'm going to take this more seriously. I'm going to find a teacher or two, some mentors. Uh, I'm going to figure out how far I can get. Maybe I'll never get there, but I love the process so much. Yeah, I, I've been writing songs since I was 20, and it's gotten more and more fun as I've gotten incrementally better at it. And so finally, um, about... Two or three years ago, both Joni Mitchell and Rodney Crowell, who had been mentoring me in songwriting, said, yeah, it's it's time. You should put these out.
0: How do you know that it's time?
1: I'm relying on them because for years <laughs> they've been telling me it's not time. And they're not just being nice. You know, they're saying, if you ask me how they know that it's time, um, as opposed to how I know that it's time.
0: Yeah. How did, How did you... Because you may feel like it's time, but then Joni Mitchell and, and all your friends saying that it's not time, then all of a sudden they change and say, no, 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 it's time now. It's time for you to, to make it. What changed? Uh,
1: it, it's, well, part of the question is how does, uh, how, how is the process of teaching and mentoring work? So I have hmm. college students who are writing papers and they do the very best job they can and then they want to submit it for publication and i say it's not ready and they say why and i say well you know th- these are the things i would change but uh you know 10 other professors would give you 10 other things to change but something needs to change uh you know this sentence isn't clear or this is just flat out wrong or this doesn't make sense you know so there's that and you know Rodney and Joni would I think what what changed was Joni two things um Joni said that um I need to spend longer on the songs and I knew that she spent a long time on hers I'd go over at her house and she'd play me something she'd written. And then I'd come back a month later and that same little yellow legal pad would be sitting on the piano. And she would have changed two words in a month. And I'd say, what else have you been working on? What do you mean, what else she'd say? You know, those two words. And I say, you doing anything else? Well, you know, I water the garden. I feed the fish. But yeah, this is, you know. She takes her time. And Rodney said the same thing. He said he could tell from my books that I spend a lot more time editing my books than I do my songs. And Rodney insisted I read more poetry. Mm. Joni insisted that I reach for more um, clarity about my feelings and tie them to known allegories and metaphors and things so uh, the first song on the album is called headed for the fall and i wrote it as a kind of musical tribute to her song the hissing of summer lawns because mm. uh, there was this one chord in there i really liked it i wanted to use it and so uh the rest of the uh, and then uh it has a kind of a vibe or a groove from that 74, 75, Joni Mitchell era, where she was using the musicians who eventually became Steely Dan's band. Uh, But lyrically, all I had was this idea that um, I had a picture of me at five years old wearing a, a foam life jacket, one of those big orange vests that you wear when you swim and you don't know how to swim. And I'm five and I'm wearing this thing. And I didn't know how to swim, and I remembered that I loved being in the pool, but you know I'd always get a lot, a lot of water in my lungs. And while I was learning to swim, this thing brought great comfort. Um, but every once in a while, the uh, it would be cut, it would come undone, the little straps would come loose, and I'd fall. And so I had this notion of when I was a child, I never learned to swim, but I jumped right in that pool if I was buckled in to the life jacket. Uh, Uh, But then I'm heading, but I know I'm heading for the fall when it comes loose. Mm -hmm. So Joni said, that's really interesting, headed for the fall. She said, what do you mean by fall? I said, well, falling down in the water. She said, well, it could be a waterfall. It could be the fall from grace. It could be a fall into other things. And Joni never gave me a lyric, but she gave me the tools. She said, start thinking about that. If that's the seed of the song how are you going to develop it that stays true to these other meanings that a listener might draw from the phrase?
0: What a process.
1: (laughs) And, you know, I think Joni and Rodney knew, they they always said you, at some point they said, go ahead and make a record if you want, but it doesn't come up to our standards. We have very high standards and, you know, don't try to please us because nothing pleases us. Uh, But, I got to where I did. That was, you asked me at the beginning, what's success? Success is Jody Mitchell saying, I hum your songs when you're not here. (laughs) Or Rodney saying, I didn't know if you would make it, but you did a really good job. And I listen to this all the time.
0: The extra vote of confidence there. (laughs) Didn't know you'd make it. (laughs) I've got all the faith in the world for you, Daniel.
1: (laughs) Well, he was, he was straight up. He said, you know, he said, this has been going on with Rodney since the eighties. So, um, you know, 35 years, he'd say, I respect your artistry. I respect your desire to be an artist. Um, but this, you know, you need to keep working at it. And I heard that for about 30 years. And then in the last five his story changed.
0: Mm. So, how long did it officially take you to, from start to finish, and how did you know that it was finished?
1: Well, a couple of the songs on the record are from the eighties. Yeah. Um, Answers is from nineteen eighty five, and uh, now that uh, let's see, um, till you come back is from nineteen eighty three. But um, I always knew those were okay. Uh, maybe even good. Um, The others I started in earnest in the year 2000, I'd say, when Joni and I first started getting together. So 20 years there, 15 years before that. And then the final piece of it was that Joni said, I said, you know, I've been playing these songs out live at gigs and the audience doesn't seem to really pay attention. She said, well, the songs are good enough, but you're not singing them good enough. Oh, okay. how do I do that? And she said, you got to get out of your own way. You're trying too hard to sound like a singer. You know, just just tell the story. Let the song tell the story. And she worked with me syllable by syllable on a couple of songs, vowel by vowel, consonant by consonant to free me up. And just not be so self-conscious. And that made a huge difference.
0: Does everyone have the ability to sing at some level?
1: Oh, absolutely. I mean, if Bob Dylan can sing or Bruce Springsteen, anybody could sing. Um, it depends on what you mean by sing. Not everybody can sing like Renee Fleming or mm-hmm. Placido Domingo. Uh, the but uh, or or for that matter, um, you know, Whitney Houston. But if what you mean by sing is communicate. Yeah, I think everybody can. But, you know, like anything else, you have to learn how to do it. I think. If, if you, you know? want other people to, you don't have to learn how to do it if you're singing in the shower, or singing around the house. But if you want other people to get engaged with it, there's some learning there. And, you know, Dylan taught himself. Springsteen taught himself. But other people, Bobby McFerrin took lessons actually from the same person I took lessons from. So, you know, even somebody as great a talent as that had coaching.
0: I mean, we can always try. And it doesn't necessarily mean that you can hold a tune to save your life. I know I can't, and believe you me, Daniel, I've tried many, many times. I'm just yeah, musical. Well,
1: so I have a friend named Ben Sidran. Uh, put on one of his records. They're wonderful jazz records. He talks the lyrics.
0: Ah, cool. And it's okay, very compelling. Awesome. I very mean, I compelling. try. I try my best to. I, I sing in my head, like the song You Raised Me Up by Josh Groban, um, some of Bruce Springsteen's Made made in the USA, um, uh, Journey, Journey's Music, um, Don't Stop Believing, like songs like that. I'll, I'll I'll do my best to sing in my head or when I'm taking my dog for a walk and no one's really paying attention or listening to me, I'll just like sing quietly. <laughs> but apart from that, I won't even bother. I won't even... Yeah. Well,
1: yeah. look, uh, I I I was in the same boat, but I took lessons from several different vocal coaches. I learned how to match pitches. I learned how to use my voice, how to breathe. It, it was it was several years of lessons. Mm. It's not. Yeah, it's it not. Yeah, you know, might not be worth it to you, but it was worth it to me.
0: Yeah, I mean, I w- it is something that I would love to do, but I just ha- I think building up the the self confidence to bite the bullet for it.
1: (laughs) Well, Um, you know, I had this interesting conversation. I'm a bass player and um, I've never been able to play bass and sing at the same time. And in fact, I can only think of half a dozen people who can. It's very, very difficult to do. You got Paul McCartney, Sting, Jack Bruce from Cream, a couple of others, but it's a very difficult thing to do because the bass is being rhythmic often in the places where the vocal is not. And so I asked uh, Sting, how do you learn? How did you learn to do that? He said, "Oh well," he said, um, on the records I didn't have to. So I put down the bass part first, and then I sang on top of it. But when I tour, he says it it takes me six months, going note by note, at half speed, figuring out where the vocals going to go and where the bass is going to go. And he works at it hours a day. So you know, I realized, oh, if I was willing to make that commitment. I could do it too, but why would you make that commitment if you didn't really love it or you know stand to make a million dollars a show from doing it? <laughs>
0: yes, that's a good point. Actually, <laughs> uh, I don't. I don't think I'd stand a chance to make a million dollars on a show. But um, nonetheless, uh, your your new album is called Sex and Math. Can I ask you, what's the what's with the title? How did you come up with the title? What's the meaning behind that?
1: I have a former student, Susan Rogers, who has a book coming out uh, in the fall, a wonderful book uh, on um, this is what it sounds like. It's about music and the brain. And she was Prince's engineer for many years. And she produced The Bare Naked Ladies. And um, she talks about the distinction between music that hits you above the chin and music that hits you below the chin. And so Bach is sort of cerebral music. That's the math. James Brown, Prince, that's the pelvis. That's
0: the <laughs> I love it. That is that is creative genius right there. That is cool. <laughs> well done. Yeah, well done. Where do you want people to to listen to your album or even buy it? Can you get it on vinyl?
1: You know, that I I wish it were on vinyl. Uh, the vinyl pressing plants are running a year behind. If there's enough demand, I'll do it, but people are going to have to wait a long time to get it. But it is on CD, uh, and it's streaming in all the usual places. So uh, if you go to um, iTunes or Apple Music or Spotify or Amazon, it's all it should be there. Uh, you can buy the CD through Amazon. And uh it's always on YouTube and YouTube music. And so uh yeah, I hope people like it.
0: Have you got another album in you?
1: Oh yeah. Working yeah. on it right now. Yes.
0: <laughs> that is so cool. So do you think that people more and more people, I guess, that are older should be making their own musical album?
1: I do. I I I mean it's a great for me it was a great feeling of accomplishment if 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 nobody listens to it except Rodney and Joni, which has already happened i'm 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 good, but even if I didn't have Rodney and joni uh, I think if my wife liked it, my sister liked it, my best friend liked it, I'd be good with that uh uh I mean I'm better with <laughs> the uh the feedback from musicians I care about. But um, I think, you know, my mom, who's 87, always wanted to learn to play the ocarina. Mm-hmm. She's 87. So I bought her one. She just started learning today. And my her mother always wanted to play the piano. And so we got her a little electronic keyboard when she was 80. And she learned to plink out a few songs and played it until she was 97. So um, I think learning an instrument is possible at any age. Making an album is great. And if you if you know other musicians your age or younger and the, and you wanna yeah, I think anybody can do it. If you you know it's but it's like anything else, you gotta you gotta want it.
0: Yeah, you gotta I guess have a sense of passion for it, a bit of love for it too. All these things that all come in and combine themselves. Um, two quick final questions for you, Daniel, cause I know your time is, is very valuable and i have got to let you go. <laughs> uh, but this is a question that, uh, a guest of mine actually gave to me not that long ago and you're probably the fourth person I'll, I'll be asking this question to, but what is the plot that you're currently in the middle of in your story?
1: <laughs> the story of my life?
0: The story of your life. Yeah. Your current plot.
1: Hmm. Um, that's interesting. Well, I think the current plot is I've, I'm now at the point where I have these songs and um, my musician friend seem to like them. And so my friend Victor Wooten and I are planning a tour huh. to tour these songs. Uh, we toured some of them already. We did 20 cities and we previewed a couple of them on that 20 city tour. But now we would go out and do more of them. And uh, we're talking about whether the band would be a trio or a quartet. But, yeah, that's the – I'd like it to be a trio where everybody can stretch out and solo a lot. But, yeah, that's that's the plot. Um, it's exciting. See where it goes.
0: That's very exciting. And you've I got a, more another than, album I don't write in more you?
1: than one chapter ahead. <laughs>
0: <Yeah>. <laughs> I love it. Uh, this is my my all-time favorite question, Daniel, that I ask everyone at the end. Of my conversations it is a hypothetical one i want you to imagine with me for a moment that you've been able to reach the age of 100 all your friends and your family have decided to put together a film for you of everything you've ever said and everything you've ever done don't ask me how in the world they got it all we'll call it magic for sake of argument but they have been able to get it and show it to you on your 100th birthday what do you want that film to say and to show about your life
1: I, I want it I would want it to show the faces and stories of people who, for one reason or another, um, even in small ways, got a little bit of a smile out of interacting with me, whether it was a student or a homeless person I spoke to for a few minutes, uh, you know stopping where I'm going and talking to them, uh, just um, trying to treat people with respect and kindness in. in in every context from small to large.
0: Mm. You've been very kind to me today and I've really, really enjoyed this conversation. If we had more time, I would love to dive further in (laughs) with you, but thank you so much, Daniel, for your time today and for joining me on the Storybox podcast. It's called sex and math is a new album. I'll link it in the show notes below for you guys. But Daniel, thank you so much for joining me today on the Storybox podcast. Thank you, Jay. I really don't like this part because it means that sadly we have come to an end of yet another story. I just want to say thank you to all of you for tuning in and listening to our guests today. It is my prayer that you would have felt inspired, motivated, challenged in some way, and that you would have learned something new as well. If you would like to hear more amazing stories like this one, you can do so now by searching up the Storybox on all podcast platforms. It is that easy. And if you did get something from today's guest, please do share it around with your friend or family member who you feel could benefit from hearing today's story. is worth more than you know. I'll catch you then.